Oh, okay. This meeting is being recorded. You know it. You already know. Don't say ah, anything you'll regret. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, first of all, welcome to Pop Culture Parsha. Where we irreverently discuss reverent text. Nailed it. Um, um, my Okay. So I'm watching this Australian TV show at the moment. Um, and it's like very cute and very fun. Never heard of it. It's got a baby. I didn't even tell you the name of it. (laughs) I already know I haven't heard of it. Is it Please Like Me? Otherwise, I haven't heard of it. Is it Flight of the Concords? Oh, they're from New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) Rehashing all of our fights. Um, It's called Bump. Anyway, it's got a baby. Uh And I think, and so my pop culture moment is just sort of like when tv shows have babies and like one the baby is wildly miscast in terms of age because like you can't cast a newborn but there has to be something other than like casting an eight month old you know what i mean <laughs> so it's like a newborn baby doesn't do anything yeah. but then you've got this baby who's like fully holding itself up like cast as the child and it just like right, fully takes just, you out of it so often like like it just feels like you could just use a doll to be a newborn like they don't do anything they never like have to Literally, do anything in the like, like they're just sitting there like yeah. and Grey's Anatomy makes such realistic baby dolls like surely they should sell them anyway so that's the first part of it and then the second part is like when the babies are really bad actors so like <laughs> it's an infant right it's an actual infant but they've got in the script the baby's crying and like the baby's crying and so in this show every time they've got a baby crying scene I've never seen a more calm baby in my life. Like, it's so very clearly just not crying. <laughs> Even though they do their best to, like, turn their like the baby's head away from camera, I'm like, that baby is a chiller. But it's just, yeah. like, it's so funny to watch. They should get Leora. She's very good at crying. Oh, she's so good at crying. Yeah, I know so many babies who are really good at crying they could get. Yeah. Also, like, what are the ethics of, like, getting a baby to cry on camera, you know? Like, do they just wait for it to cry? Do they give it, like, a little pinch? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Good question. Well, what's funny is, like, like with Leora, like, she'll be, like, seeming like she's having a perfectly fine time. And then all of a sudden, you'll just see her face change. And she'll be like, yeah. ah! <laughs> yeah. She's like, I've decided I'm not having fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, nice. Yeah, it does bother me when they have, like, eight-month-olds. And you're like, that is not a newborn baby like it's literally like this baby in the show is supposed to be two days old and the dad answers the door and he's holding the baby and it's like with one arm and the baby is like upright and like alert and looking around i'm like this is ridiculous no 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 it's baby shaming that's what it is all those poor newborns who like think they're supposed to look one way exactly it's it's literally the equivalent of casting a 25 year old as a teenager that's literally what it is it's a gossip girl but for babies but for babies that would be a great show i feel like that exists that's just rugrats it's rugrats yeah it's angelica pickles (laughs) it's rugrats with all of the characters are angelica pickles there's gonna be a beeping sound one second okay okay it beeped what was that I turned on my light. Oh. <laughs> Good morning. Thank you. What's my pop culture moment? I don't really have one. I guess I could talk about my double feature. 
What's your double feature? What I texted you about yesterday, but that was just a friendship oh, yeah. text. That wasn't like a, this is my pop culture moment text, but I feel like it works. Okay. So my pop culture moment is that um, yesterday I watched Sister Act. And then after oh. that, we watched Ghost. And yeah, it was just a I nice- I love both of those movies. Yeah. Just like a nice little Whoopi Goldberg double feature. What's funny is I had never seen Ghost um, I actually don't know that I'd ever seen all of Sister Act either, um, but I had never seen Ghost and I was like really confused about the like the ceramics scene just from like being in the world of pop culture because that has like made kind of a resurgence right. in like the milieu of Patrick Swayze sitting behind Demi Moore. They're like making the ceramics together is um so popular and i thought that was like after he had become a ghost and so like we're watching the very end of the movie where he's like you know going into the light or whatever spoiler alert but like this movie's from the 90s so um and i was like actually what like just i think it's just plain 1990 oh it is from the 90 excuse me the 90 yeah (laughs) anyway (laughs) Stop interrupting me. You know I have... From the 90, that's so funny. Okay, Um, keep going. Anyway, whatever. I thought that scene happened when he was a ghost, right? Because he, like, learns how to, like, make himself temporarily solid. And so I thought that was a whole thing. Um, But I actually walked away with a lot of questions about the ethics of the world that they've created because like it means that like a ghost could kill someone yeah anyway that's that's what you took away from that movie is the ethics not the beautiful love story Uh, um i thought Whoopi goldberg was great in both movies she won an oscar for for ghost i'm pretty sure really yeah, I think so. Best supporting actress. Um, I love Ghost. I love both of those movies. I'll say it. it's a great double feature. Um, I was Ghost way too young. I was like maybe ten. Mm. That is a steamy sex scene for a ten-year-old. Yeah, look, it's a good movie. Also, first of all, everyone knows the pottery happens at the beginning. Second of all, the <laughs> weird thing I find not me. It, I am just not validating that thought. Um. Actually, that happened to me with Sister Act, too, because the song You Love and Sister Act also happens way earlier than I thought it did. Like, I thought that was, like, the closing number. No, how good. that That's that's what gets them to Kirov, the rest of the people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how good is that song? Anyway, what I was going to say is what I find iffy about Ghost is that I'm pretty sure she, like, kisses him when he's a ghost. But it's, like, she's, but he's in the body of Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, and so because it's ninety, because it's the ninety, they, don't, they <laughs> obviously don't show it. But it's like it's just her, like it's Demi Moore making out with Whoopi Goldberg. But like they show it as him. Yes, you I know? also had that I reaction when they like the like shot is it's Whoopi Goldberg's hand with like these long red fingernails, and then it's like all of a sudden it's Patrick Swayze's hand, and exactly. I was like, what? what like I was like this feels like it is crossing a line oh it's such a good movie though um yeah okay everything my actual takeaway is I like my like 
my look, my aesthetic, my fashion, fashion sense to be like a cross between if there could be a cross between Demi Moore and Whoopi Goldberg in that movie. Also, was everybody in the 90s in the 90s like a butch (laughs) lesbian? Yes, famously so. No, I think Demi Moore had short hair because she had just shot G.I. Jane or was about. Yeah. Does that make sense? Her haircut in this movie is awful. Gee, let's just look up. I was going to look up like the movie separately um, and then like compare the years. And then I realized I could just look at her filmography. Yeah. What kind of world do we live in where Demi Moore is not the first Demi that comes up on Google? Yeah. I mean, there have to be room for other Demi's, you know? Wait, when did she do G.I. Jane? I lied. Her hair was just short for no reason in the 90. It was just short. Yeah. Yeah, they did not. Whoever cut her hair did not like her. Oh, yeah. G.I. Jane was uh, seven years later. So she just had short hair for a long time. Interesting. Yeah. I think she looks better with the long hair, but... I don't know. I like it in that movie. She's great. Patrick Swayze, he was also great. All right. Yeah, I don't really like him. (gasps) Valerie. Eek. Coming in with the hot bad takes today. Oh, I thought the scene was later in the movie. Oh, I don't like Patrick Swayze. We're going to alienate our viewer, our listener. Do you think somebody... Single. Yeah, our one listener, our five listeners, do you think they have that strong of opinions about Patrick Swayze? Here's the thing. They should. If they don't, (laughs) stop listening. I... Yeah, I don't know. I thought he was just okay. He's great. What I really wanted more of was Whoopi Goldberg and like, and her sisters and like the, her talking to other ghosts. That was like by far the best part of the movie. Yeah, it's true. Um, And then back to Sister Act. What are your thoughts on Sister Act? Oh, excellent movie. Amazing. Um, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Truly. I love all the casting choices. What's her name from the oh, um, podcast? Kathy Namey. Yeah, Kathy, Kathy Namey, who is in, what's the movie called? Um, it's not Witches. No. Um, Hocus, Hocus Pocus. Pocus. Oh, oh we God. got it at the same time. Kathy Namey, I think, is really funny. That, like, choice of character is very funny oh, to me. Um, and, and Maggie I also, Smith is there? yeah. Yes, that was a surprise to me that I enjoyed. Um, And I like the scene where they like go to the biker bar and the two like uh, young, like Kathy Namie and the other nun, like both love it. Yeah. Yeah, that was unexpected. We need more, we need more nun comedies. There are so many like nun, very serious movies. Right, like um, No Vicious or um, Doubt. Even the sound of the sound of music's about the Holocaust. That's serious. It's pretty serious. We need more fun, fun nuns. That's my fun nuns. As a Jew, Great my chips. pitch to Hollywood is fun nuns. Did you hear my joke? Great chips. I, great chips. I don't. Oh, like funyuns. Yeah. 
half of our listeners are Australian and they're not going to understand that joke. So Okay, so in the United States... I hope you've enjoyed States, alienating, you've enjoyed alienating, like, all of our audience today at some point. Two and a half fun- people. The people who don't know Funyuns and the people who love Patrick Swayze, you've hit them all. Funyuns are a delicious American treat that are kind of like onion rings, but they're crispy all the way through and they're like chips. Gross. They sound horrible and I hate them. Wow, I feel like they're better than Bisley. Okay, I don't particularly like Bisley either, so that's not a <laughs> that's not the win that you think it is. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I just like that's where I, they would rank for me on a snack scale. Yeah, fair. But are um, they better than Bumba? That's sorry. Is this triggering for you because you never finished your snack yet? I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Does it haunt you? Your Does ghost isn't Patrick Swayze. It's the the snack it bracket. Ghost of snack it's past. Yeah. I just never found out a good way to do it. Hmm. Um, I should relaunch. I'll relaunch it. Yeah, but I now you're going to do it with Australian snacks? It's just going to no, be different flavors of Vegemite? No, I have ideas. We don't have to talk about it right now. Only one flavor of Vegemite's kosher. Thank you very much. Wait, there are multiple flavors? No, I think there's two. They made one called Cheesy Mite that's like, um, it's mixed with like cream cheese, I think. I don't, but it's not kosher. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but you could just make that yourself, I guess. They also have like Vegemite flavored snacks. Interesting. Like crackers. At one point, there was like a limited edition Vegemite chocolate. Gross. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Anyway, should we talk about the Parsha? <laughs> should we talk about the stuff that we come here to talk about? Um, yeah, one second. I had to pull it up on my phone. This week's Parsha is... Uh, what's this week's Parsha? Pinchas. It's Pinchas. Good job. Um, uh, um, so it ends... It's called Pinchas because we ended last week on um, the girl bus incident of like the Midianites and Moabites women coming into the camps and then Pinchas last week also like killed um an is uh, Israelite man who was um publicly having a a relations with, yeah. with with a Midianite woman yeah um and so this week's parasha opens up to like end that off with Hashem being like Pinchas you were amazing for stabbing those people <laughs> I love you and your bravery um, you're the best, you're descendants, and you are going to be priests forever. Um, and then the Jews have to punish the Midianites, and they smite the Midianites. And then Elazar, um, who is the Kohen Gadol, who is um, Aaron's son, does a census of all of the men of over 20. We, like, just shift gears immediately. And yeah, then real they quick. Count, and they do a bunch of math, gross. Um and all of the men over the age of 20 for all of the Israelite tribes, I I didn't do the math because I trust Chabad.org. They say it was a grand total of um, 601,730 people, not including the tribe of Levi. They get counted separately. Um, all men over the age of one month old get counted, and there are 23,000 of them. And they're going to use this information to divide the land based on a lottery system that we see a bit later on. Um, but yeah, questions so far, questions, comments. It just seems like a lot of people considering how many people we've killed. Yeah. How many people keep dying? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like how many, we've had so many plagues in the desert. 
Yeah. Uh, we've just had one, like, people have just been killed because they um, were involved in the Midgetite girl boss schemes. Um, we just, just had it before with the snakes. Exactly. The, like, plague, plague, And plague. before and that, it's, it's like still- every Parsha for, like, the last several weeks has had some sort of plague. And there are still 600,000 men, which means that there are more women and there are more children. And there are more men under the age of 20. Like, you know what I mean? Anyway, it's crazy. There are so many people. Um, Maybe their counting was different to ours. Maybe they just didn't know how to do maths properly. Also possible. You know, this is really a Michael Hatton territory type question. He's true. all that, those numbers. Should ask him. Anyway, so then we have like the main meat of this week's parasha. Um, which is that we are introduced to um, Tzalafchad's daughters. Tzalafchad is a man who only had five daughters and no sons. And he got land, or he will be getting land, as um, because of this lottery that divides the land for all of these people. Um, and so they go to Moshe and they're like, our dad has no sons. And that means that his land is supposed to automatically go to like our grandfather or our uncles and that's not fair like what are we supposed to do and so Moshe is like oh maybe women are people and he he goes to God and God says yes women are people and that you have to change the laws and so then there's new inheritance laws that say if a man doesn't have any sons um it will then get passed to his daughters which is so nice it's so nice and I think also what is great about it is it feels like God, like, God is like, oh, you're right. I didn't think of that, which was, it's an interesting curveball. Right. Yeah. Or it's just God being like, I'm glad one of you realized that's like the critical thinking is needed here. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then at the very end of the parsha, I lied. There's a bit more to go. One second, there's something on my phone. I'm getting distracted. Anyway, um, then what happens is, is Hashem tells Moshe to go to the top of this little mountain because um, before he dies, he'll see Israel from that mountain. Um, and then Moshe asks Hashem to um, make sure that Bnei Israel has a worthy leader after he dies. And Hashem tells him to give some of his spiritual power to Yeshua and do it publicly and name him as his successor to the people. Um, and then we're given a bunch of information about like sacrifices and timing at the temple and a bit more information about different like major holidays um, and that's about it so we have like all of this really dramatic stuff and then we just end on more boring laws again Ugh. Mm. and that's the Parsha that's the Parsha a beautiful telling Shoshana like always thank you what a Parsha it is it really is do you want to tell everyone what we watched yeah. Oh, I didn't pull up my page either. Typical. <laughs> typical. Typical. A white man. Typical. <laughs> okay. We watched a film called Misbehavior. It's a 2020 British comedy drama um, that doesn't have a summary on the Wikipedia page. Oh, here it is. Um, the premise That's is how you the- know it's a good movie. It doesn't have a summary. <laughs> um. The 1970 Miss World competition took place in London, hosted by the American comedian Bob Hope. At that time, Miss World was the most watched TV show in the world with over 100 million viewers. Um, Arguing that beauty competitions objectify women, the newly formed women's liberation movement achieved overnight fame by invading the stage and disrupting the live broadcast. Yeah. Um, It was all right. (laughs) 
Yeah. It I was agree. Fine. I, yeah, I thought it was overall a nice movie, not like really a standout. It's just one of those ones where it just feels like feminism light. You know what I mean? Like it has, if it had done it well, it would have had very interesting things to say, I think. And it almost hits on all of those things, but it just does it so blandly that like it never really hits home the full message, I think. Totally. Yeah. Um, Right. Like I was actually pleasantly surprised that it wasn't just white women, Um, but it was really close. Like for a while we were looking at groups of like the women's liberation movement, which I think this was probably historically accurate. That was just like a room of white women, women. And then there would be like one black woman and you were like, Oh great. But then two of the main characters are black women. They didn't like push any of the, like, it didn't really feel like any of the pageant competitors had to like deal with it so much. Like it was, they were very passive about like, what's the viewpoint of these other women. Yeah. I know. I think like, like, yeah, without fully just like shitting on this movie, (laughs) I think it was just like, it had really interesting things to say about like, you know, intersectionality and race with that, like in that same year, 1970, it was only the second woman ever, the second ever black woman, like one Miss World. Um, and that was, who was played by Gugu Mbatha-Raw. And it's like, that's really interesting because like at the very end of the movie, she says, this is going to mean so much to like so many people who look like me and like, who gives a shit? You know what I mean? Like, right. Like, and but then you've also done this whole other thing. And so it's just, I don't know. It feels like if you had addressed this a bit earlier, like explicitly and not just, I don't know. It just didn't, it didn't do everything it took its full potential, you know? Yeah, I agree. It definitely, like, it was like a feel-goody feminist movie. But then, even then it didn't feel very good. Right. Well, because, like, I just, like, we talked about for a second, and we'll, like, bring this up in our comparisons. Like, what has really changed? Like, Miss yeah. World still exists, and it just, like, made me think about, like, all of the other protests that women go through and, like whatever, obviously what just happened in the U S with Roe v. Wade is incredibly disappointing. And it's just like, women are out here being like, no, we don't want you to get rid of Roe v. Wade. This is horrible. And it's just these like men who are like, "Eh, actually, we're going to get rid of Roe v. Wade. And then like, it feels like the same thing. Like all of these women are like, this is horrible and sexist. And it's like blatantly sexist. And they're like, no, we think this is still good. We're going to keep doing pageants. Right. And it's also like so much of it is just them being like, how horrible is it that women get judged on their bodies? And I'm like, yeah, it's still like that. Yeah. And then, and then it's all of these men in the movie being like, feminism is yucky. And you're supposed to be like, oh, that's crazy that people used to think like that. And it's like, do you know how many people I know who still actively think, think oh, like that? Like, do you know that I had to teach a class of watch. eighth grade vo- boys who were so mean to me when I tried to do a lesson about Judaism and feminism? Yeah, I'm just like, it just made me sad. Yeah. I was, um, also, uh, yawning. <sighs> Sorry. Um, the, the accents were so bad that, like, the people who pl- were British who played non British people, horrible. It was p- specifically, the two South African characters mm. did not sound South African whatsoever. Interesting. Um, 
Um, and also Miss was it Miss Granada? She also like very seldom sounded like she was from anywhere that wasn't England. Like I don't know, it just like it's like all those little things, you know. Costuming was cool. Yeah, I like, really. I'll give it that. And it had Greg Kinnear. I'll give it that too. I like Jesse Buckley. Yeah, you would. Why? I don't know. I just felt like being mean for a second. Um, She's fine. Have you seen that movie? I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah, that was whacked. I watched that with Marilyn. We had no idea what was going on. Yeah, me either. I felt the same way. Um, but I liked her in that. And I liked her in this too. Um, but I feel like they could have done more with her. Right. Like, that's the other thing is that it's been so long talking about like the difference like the different approaches to descent but it spent no time like actually like showing it in an interesting way right it was just always the characters talking about oh you're Kira Knightley yeah. you want a seat at the table you don't want to destroy it and I'm like shut up like just like it just felt very expositiony so much of the time even though it's trying to raise an interesting discussion and I think that is a really interesting discussion to have um but just like do it better you know you know? Yeah, totally. I agree. Well, and also I was like, I want to know more about this women's commune that they have. Yeah. <laughs> like, can I sign up for that? Yeah, it's like, I'm interested. Communal food, communal clothes. Yeah. It's kind um, of what it's like to date a woman. Yeah, it's just there were so many of them. Um, um, I did like kind of the like anti-makeover scene. Yeah, I like that too. Um, I thought that was cute, but also like, it was like a little bit short and I feel like, yeah, they could have like amped it up a little bit even. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it took um, me a minute. It took, I was like, Oh, cute. We get like a classic makeover scene. And then I was like, Oh no, actually this is like the, the opposite. Um, and I just feel like that point could have been driven home more. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also didn't know that Suki Waterhouse was a real person. Like, <laughs> she just sounds fake. But then she's in this movie, and I was like, okay, yeah, you exist. That's fun. Um, and I think that like, um, so many times in this movie, I just wished I was watching Miss Congeniality. Yeah, and I think that's like the the biggest thing about this movie is that it isn't Miss Congeniality. You know. Great point. I yes, for sure. Yeah. I'm like, I just want to see Sandra Bullock instead of this. Yeah. Um but yeah, I also think it does like some very like unfortunately my favorite thing about this movie was the ending. Um, where they did the like the classic of like, you know, they because it's like historical characters, they sort of follow up with a few things. And the way they do it in this movie is really interesting where the character like the actor playing the character stares directly into the camera as it's like giving like a little blurb about what happened and then it cuts to the real person and has a bit more about their life um and I really like I think that was really powerful because it's like the 70s weren't that long ago and these women aren't that old right they're like they were like what they were like born in the late 40s they're like just older than my mum type thing like in their late 70s yeah. And so it's like these are all just women who are now like who did this, like were involved in this crazy, crazy things and then just like had to go living life. Right. Like the miss out. the So 
there were two Miss South Africas because it was apartheid. So they had one black one and one white one. And like the black Miss South Africa, like came running up in Miss World and then went back to South Africa and had like 20 something more years under apartheid. Like that yeah. part's crazy. And then like, you just see all of these different women who went on and like one became a midwife and one was like a professor and, you know, one never got to get into what she wanted to get into, but she joined the UN and it's just like, like that stuff was crazy. And I really liked that. Yeah, I agree. I thought that that was really sweet um, and like a nice way to like honor those women. Um, and yeah, for me also just like felt depressing, like going back to what we were talking about earlier of like what has really changed. Um, yeah. And that's like so disappointing that yeah, it's easy. Like, like you said, it's like easy to watch this movie and be like, wow, I can't believe they thought that way. And then to like, be like, oh wait, these women are like still alive. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and also like sad for them. Like they worked so hard in their youth for this thing. And they thought that like, it was going to change. And I'm like, well, hasn't, hasn't changed all that much. Like, <laughs> right. Things it still also like this. It just, like, also, like, depresses me when I think about, because, like, the Bob Hope character I found to be, like, uh, like, I'm glad that they, like, portrayed him in a way that wasn't, like, I don't know, like, Disney-fied or something, like, that yeah. it, like, showed him as kind of being this skeevy dude, um, but also that felt super depressing of, like, oh, that hasn't changed either, like, it just has, like, kind of gone a little bit more underground, um, yeah. and, yeah, and, um, and we've got only a couple of comparisons, but we can talk them through. Um, yeah. I think, like, first off, maybe it feels obvious, but just, like, this idea of women, I guess, sort of changing things for women to come. I think that was our main thing going in, right, of, like, finding a movie about women fighting for the cause because that's essentially what Salaf Khan's daughters are doing. Right. Um, and I think, like, there's a reason that they are seen as... Like, I, I hate using, like, anachronistic things like feminists for Torah, but they are actively trying to make the world their world an easier place for them and other women in it. And I think that that is um, cash money. I think that's really cool disappointing that like at that point Hashem didn't go oh you're right wait a second like what other things have I been saying are for men and not for women that could be for everyone (laughs) right I also just think that like the whole um like like we talk about halakhic innovation mostly to do with like Talmud right because it's like like all of those stories happen in in Gemara of like people you know figuring out ways to make the world easier for them in like the halachic realm or in like that sort of thing um but then you have this case of like people are actively making it better right like it's it's the human I guess, proactivity that causes the change as opposed to God. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about, we went to this um, shul in Brooklyn uh, on Shabbat and it turned out that they were like doing this dinner after services. Um, we had no idea. We just like showed up to go to cup job and um, then they were doing 
um, like a queer dinner afterwards, which was really Mm -hmm. sweet. And we were like, okay, we'll stay. There was sushi. It was lovely. Um, And I had a really nice time, but now I'm like reflecting on like, it's a modern Orthodox shul that um, still like has a machitza. And somebody told us one of the first times we went that it was like unsure about it's like modern Orthodox identity. Like as a shul, it's like all people that like, I think don't love that there's a machitza, but kind of like read the text in a way that like we need to have one. Um, And yeah, then I was just thinking about like, this is like so weird in a queer space because it's like still it's still unequal in like a different way. Like it's so nice to have a queer dinner and like all of the queer women are still like at a disadvantage and like people who identify as non-binary, like having a machitza, like what does that mean for them? And like, I think, yeah. And in the same vein, like if you're non-binary, but you like present as being more like masculine, does that mean that then like you can get called to the Torah, whereas a woman can't like, I think yeah, it's like, yeah becomes very strange um and like difficult to yeah think about so I'm like yeah it's sweet that you had like a dinner that was like a queer dinner but it's not actually um right and I think yeah yeah and it's also like like I think you can also make the connection of like the movie's attempts at addressing sort of like intersectionality you know so it's like this like black women who know that if they win like that's a huge step forward in like all like in terms of racism and like achieving equality and then all of the women in the women's liberation front uh all white women who are then like boycotting and like disrupting this event um and I think you can draw it back to like like Salafka like it's getting a very specific woman rights right like it's giving a woman with no sisters with no brothers sorry access to land but like what happens to a mother when her husband dies and then she's got like sons who get all of the land right like she's sort of just like reliant then upon other men in her life who aren't her husband anymore or what happens to sisters when it's like their brothers who's in charge you know what i mean it's like there are still women affected by the original laws that are put in place um even though it is a win for like the benot salafkhad of the world totally totally yeah that was a really nice connection thank you it's like almost like i've been doing this for almost a whole year <laughs> um yeah and then we have kind of just the like overarching idea of systems as well like do we work through, do we work with the system, which is like what one half of the women's liberation movement is arguing for, or do we like try to exist outside of the system? Like the big issue in the movie that comes up is they're like, well, like that, like the commune doesn't have a TV and she's like, whoa, what do you do? Like, how can you connect with the media? And they're like, well, we're existing. Like we don't support the media because like it's patriarchal. And she's like, but then how is anybody going to hear about what you're doing? And then the parallel in the Parsha is that like, there is like a very specific way of like 
Salafuhad's daughters have to speak to Moshe and then Moshe goes to God um, and there's like this pathway. But it is interesting to consider like what if like Salafuhad's daughters had been able to like speak directly to God. Um, or it's like, what if they just like decided to dissent without going to Moshe? You know what I mean? Like, Right. Um, I also wonder like what, because we know that people are coming to Moshe all the time with problems. What percentage of problems does Moshe then take to God because he doesn't know the answer for? Like, why is this the one? You know what I mean? Has he just, like, never spoken to a woman before? And he's like, oh, uh, I don't know. Let me go ask my boss. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it feels a bit, I don't know. I'm just like, why couldn't he make it? Like, it feels like he didn't want to make a decision. You know what I mean? Or alternatively, you could argue that it's like, no, by giving God the final say, you're like, like it's pushing forward that cause. Right. Yeah, that is like also an interesting, like when you talk about systems, like you just need to like get to someone who will say yes. And like, then does that yes get either get overridden from the top or like, right, because I guess that would be the fear of Moshe is Moshe is like, well, I'm not sure. And I don't want to like misinterpret the word of God or like, yeah. And I also think like back in the movie as well, like getting a yes and getting your foot in the door doesn't guarantee anything, right? Like Kira Knightley's character at the very beginning of the movie, she's trying to get into to uni as a mature age student. And then like, basic and it, like that's the conflict right like she says she wants a seat at the table and jesse buckley's character is like why don't you want to destroy it like destroy the table essentially um right. and she realizes that like a seat at the table means that just it's men talking over you and not taking your ideas seriously um and that you know maybe disruption and dissent in a way that they'll actually notice rather than trying to work within the system could be more effective sometimes right Right. I mean, it's interesting. Um, what's the metaphor? Like Rachel will bring up a metaphor at Pardes of like, um, you can't dismantle the master's house using the master's tools or something like that. And right. uh, like when we talk about like feminism and Torah and like, I think it's like interesting to kind of like straddle that line of like, I don't want to destroy the house. I just like want it to be big enough for everyone. Like I want to add on to the house. Yeah, literally. Um, yeah. But I like, I admire like people who like, I don't know. I always think it's interesting when you like come up against those types of arguments that are like about existing outside of a system or like trying to like go about something in a way that's like not the um, typically accepted way of doing things. And like, I don't know I think it's like amazing to be like imaginative in that way and like yeah to like think yeah. about like what would our like I don't know I feel like I'm such a rule follower <laughs> in my nature right. that like I, I never would consider like well what like what would happen if we just like got rid of the system altogether yeah I also like I think how it manifests a lot now like well the way that I see it especially in the religious world is that the like to dissent is just to leave that world right and so you see it a lot with lgbt people who you know 15 20 years ago 
weren't trying to be out and from at the same time and there was no way to really fight back for a place in the community so you just sort of left it right and right. so you have these questions of people I get asked all the time like why are you a feminist and you know identifying as one orthodox why are you like gay and identifying as one orthodox and I think that you have to work within the system to make it better for people in the system as well right I think it's hard to because there is no vocal dissent outside of the system as an orthodox person or as a modern orthodox person because then just your ideas get completely shut down because you're not in that group anymore and so why does your opinion mean anything as an outsider like, totally. I feel like that's how it works with closed groups um and so I feel like there has to be a way also of remaining at the table and fighting for it for the sake of the people who are in that group and not fighting for themselves yet you know what I mean does that make totally. sense um yeah someone at this dinner uh was saying that like she was saying something about like that it's important to be like out as like a queer couple like your Jen and I are and that um yeah to just like show up in those types of spaces and I was like joking later I was like not that the world needs like um an example of a committed gay lesbian couple like (laughs) plenty of lesbians are out here showing what it means to be committed um but yeah it was interesting to kind of consider and like I've also thought about it um I've thought about like what does it mean to like do I come out to my students and at what point (laughs) like yeah um and like I've spoken with Yardan about it and I've been like, I just feel like at some point it will be natural to say that I have a partner and like to use she pronouns and just to like leave it at that. Like, because it's also yeah. funny with Yardan, like Yardan in the US is going by Jordan and I'm like, Jordan still could be a boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. hey, look, one of our listeners is Jordan and yeah. he's a boy. And I was confused when you first started talking about him because I thought um, it was Jordan. a girl. <laughs> yeah, no, Jordan's a boy. Um, but that's so funny. Yeah, it's, yeah. Look, right, it's and like, like crazy. Kira Knightley's character, it's like important for her to like show up in a space and like show that she's like a serious academic and like whatever. Like you can see that like how that also functions is like well if you've never seen a woman who is like getting a phd then like you can you imagine that but yeah. yeah um i think i don't know if there's a way to like necessarily connect this to the parsha maybe i try to um no i don't think i did um but sort of this like i guess conflict between kira knightley's character and her mother I found really interesting about, you know, pushing feminism too far almost and the intergenerational battles between like what we're fighting for. Mm. And I don't think it's necessarily a partial comparison, but I think I see that definitely still mamush mamush today, Um, especially because things are moving away from like, you know, second wave feminism and like, you know, like just women's equality and moving into spaces about like queer acceptance and what, like changing language to make, you know, non-binary people feel comfortable to feel like trans presenting people feel comfortable um, and all of those things. And I think you see a lot of people who 
in the 70s and 80s were like huge feminists and fighting for these causes and now they like don't know what to do with themselves almost um right because there's yeah yeah i know what are you gonna say well yeah there's that like tension of like yeah if you like continue to be like how do you continue to be a radical right because it means you kind of have to like constantly be analyzing your ideas from like like imagining it from a fresh perspective or from like a perspective that you haven't thought of I feel like you come up against that in the Jewish world too. Like so often there are like these men who have started institutions for like women's Torah study because like women couldn't start them. But now like those men are like, it's like a little passe. And like, I know like a few organizations where there's still like a man at the head of something when it's like, you could step down and let like a younger woman who like has a more nuanced perspective um, take charge. Um, but yeah, it's true. You know, I, I was now just thinking also about like I had conversations with someone once about Pardes and they were like, I wish the staff would be more progressive. And I'm like, I was laughing because I'm like, back in the day, like, like you have like some of the first, you know, orthodox identifying female rabbis, like teaching, like, like literally the first women learning Talmud probably in like the 70s people learning from frank himself teaching you talmud but like it's not progressive enough and it's just because the world changes all the time and like benchmarks for what it means to be progressive keep changing as well um i think there was also a really interesting thing i saw last week or the week before you know have you seen feel good right uh-uh, i actually haven't watched it bro you haven't seen feel good i know you should watch Feel Good. Anyway, so May Martin, Bette Midler, like, put her foot in it. Um, and May Martin, who um, wrote and directed and starred in Feel Good, yeah. wrote this really, like, empathetic response, which was, like, very lovely to read about, you know, you can't just be constantly putting down and shaming these women who, again, like, in the 70s were, like, have, have been fighting for their whole lives essentially in the entertainment industry to make it easier for women to exist in those spaces. So you can't just, you know, be constantly putting them down just because they don't understand or say the wrong thing. And it's about educating with compassion. And it's about, you know, realizing that one day there are going to be things that you don't understand in terms that you don't necessarily totally have. And, you know, thinking about that future as well. Um, Sorry. That cat sounded like a baby. Yeah. Are you a baby? She is a baby. I'm going to send you a picture of how she was playing earlier. She's so cute. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think about um, uh, women rabbis, like in the beginning of, of uh, smicha for women, like in the reform movement, it was just like interesting to see that like women rabbis were um, just like seemed like men, like they always had short hair. They like wore a kippah. They like, it was like this very specific, like type of woman who became a rabbi. Um, and it's something that I've also heard, like, again, thinking about like inside versus outside of the system. Like, what does it mean to be a woman who's a rabbi and to like, not have to conform to what it means to like be similar to a man who's a rabbi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, this is a lot more serious than I, like last week we just talked about <laughs> shrimp, uh, the system needs changing yeah you know 
But I think it like really speaks to, yeah, what it was like to watch this movie in 2022. It's just like, eh. <laughs> like it annoyed me the whole time. I was like, I didn't enjoy it. I wish I had enjoyed it. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. That's the other thing about this movie. I feel like not enough gays. I'll say it. Right. I mean, a couple of those women were like, I would guess, you know, on the Kinsey scale. Yeah. But again, it was also just the 70s, you know. Right. Like you said, like so true. 90, in the 90, you said everyone was a bunch of like, <laughs> like even more so in the 70s. Every woman looked like a lesbian. Mm-hmm. That's so crazy how that works. I think it's just because lesbians today dress like women in the 70s. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that shit's all back in fashion. That was actually going to be my um, pop culture moment was, oh, wow. Maybe I should save this. In the new season of Only Murders in the Building, the way that the like Y2, like the way that the like Gen Z character dresses and kind of like that Y2K adjacent style that like is not Y2K, but is like, yeah, I was just like, wow, that is an outfit that I would never, ever put together. (laughs) And yet. Layering layering is back in a way I never thought it would be back. Yeah. 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 Um, how good is the new season, though? It's good so far. Kara Delavine is a delightful addition. I don't know. She um, irks me. Really? Why? By her. I don't know. She's annoying. Hmm. So I can't really act. I'll say it. I'll be brave enough to say it. I mean, can Selena Gomez act? No, but like she's playing a character where she doesn't need to do anything beyond deadpan. So it works for her. Right, but I feel like Cara Delevingne's character is similar. She's also only been in, like, one episode, so... Yeah, I know. I want to see more between them. I want a scene of them in bed together by the end of the season. Or I'm out. We might get it. Who knows? Um, But, yeah. That, yeah, it just also goes to prove, again, like, the benchmark for youngness keeps moving the older you get and things change. Like the fact, like Selena Gomez's character, who is like firmly slightly older than us, I'd say, or supposed to be, um, like just not understanding a word coming out of like an 18 year old's mouth. I like highly, highly identified with that. Right. Yeah. That is like, I guess it's like a fear that I need to let go of, of like, I feel like I've always been, you know, like pretty hip with it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And now I'm like about to be teaching and like I'm not gonna be hip with it anymore. And I just have to be okay with that. Yeah. Look, I think that like I definitely think the the gap is getting smaller in terms of the withitness. Because I think we're all on the same internet now, right? Like that's the difference between like us being teachers and we're now teachers. We're teaching totally. us. Is that just like we see so much of the same overlapping media that our kids see. Yeah. At least if they're high schoolers. Right. I, I actually, I have not, I, I don't know what to say to a five-year-old. Yeah. 
I know one time I like pretended I was like, oh, so you like Paw Patrol. And then the kids started talking to me about Paw Patrol and then like a couple of sentences and they were like, you don't watch Paw Patrol, do you? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm so good at being like, what's that character's name? What's yeah. that character? Right. What I like that- thought I was doing a good job of that. And then he was like, you obviously don't know what I'm talking about. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> So funny. Wow. Um, Kids are ruthless. Yeah, really. Oh, I had my high schoolers when I was student teaching like recommend pop culture for me. And it was like basically everything they recommended I had seen, right? Or listened to yeah. or whatever. And I was like, okay, this isn't like that far apart. But yeah, that's fair. Also, because weirdly, yeah. like, of course, one of them recommended Fight Club. And I was like, obviously, I've seen Fight Club. Right, but were, I was going around once during student teaching, uh, like asking favorites, like we were doing favorite movies. Get a feel of what kids are watching. Yeah, and these kids are saying things like "Dumb and Dumber," and I can't remember what one of the other ones was like, something akin to Fight Club. But it was like really left field, of just like these older movies. Like someone said "Taxi Driver," and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> But it was just like these kids, just like the the same way that we watched movies that were older when we were in high school because we thought it gave us like personality. Everything is cyclical; nothing changes ever. That is so funny to like think you're getting like social cred because Dumb and Dumber is your favorite movie, right? Like just and that kid was so funny. He was like really into Michael Jackson. Like I'm like, what a what a kid! What a One interesting of the, kid. The kids they were making like um like a little mini cars for like a physics thing. And so they all got to decorate them. And one of the girls decorated hers like mean girls. And I was like, wild. (laughs) Amazing. Wow. I like the whole thesis of this episode has just been, we are old now. (laughs) Nothing has changed. And yet we are still old. Right. That's so funny that we went from being like, these feminists weren't pushing for enough to like, <laughs> we're also Kids are pushing too far in that cycle. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, on that note, um, okay. wait, you can cut this out, but why are you guys move, looking at new apartments already? Oh, um, we, this is a temporary lease anyway. Like we're here, we could stay. Um, we're here through the end of September, um, for sure. And then we could keep the lease, but it's kind of expensive. And like, we want like a little bit more space. Um, yeah. yeah. So we looked at another apartment, um, which like (laughs) the girl, we like met her at a Shabbat dinner and she was like, Oh, we're moving out at the end of September. Like you could take our apartment and it's a really nice apartment. Um, but then she was like, the landlords are Israeli, actually. And we were like, oh, no. Oh, my God. Classic. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a nice apartment. But uh, I don't know. It's not, like, perfect for us. And I kind of want to be in a place that, like, we can stay for a long time. Um, yeah. That's- but... And it's like unclear, like it's one of, it's very much a New York apartment where it's two bedrooms, but like probably one of those bedrooms would like be the living room because like the rest of the space is kind of just like one, it's like a pretty big room, but it's like the kitchen. And so we would need like a dining area. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Nice. It's been fun. It's been fun. Okay. 
Okay. Goodbye. Bye.